0: Welcome to the show. Gavin Phillip is a pretty rare commodity in the hotel business. Someone who has spent most of his career working at and with independent rather than branded hotels. As Senior Vice President of Woven by Rains, Gavin leads a division of his company devoted to properties in the full service luxury lifestyle space. At a time when a lot of hotel investors are searching for economy-scale hotel deals, Reigns is betting big on the opposite end of the spectrum. Their latest project, the Waynesville Inn and Golf Club, is a 165-acre resort in Western North Carolina that originally opened in 1926. Today, Gavin and I are going to talk about zigging while others are zagging and how the independent mindset informs his approach to hospitality. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning questions. If you'd like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850 404 Three zero. Today's question is perfect for you, Gavin. It was submitted by Mo. And here's what Mo says I've recently been hired as a director of ops, director of operations for an independent resort. There are no SOPs. Mo put 17 exclamation points after that sentence. There are no SOPs. How do I put some in place without killing the spirit of the resort? I have no doubt that you've encountered this in your career, Gavin. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, you have to truly embrace that part of the process and really put the work in to create the procedures that are going to work best for your property. The the hard work on the front end will pay dividends in the back end versus Trying to pull in, you may still pull in references from your past SOPs you personally or with colleagues or other companies have put together as a foundation for what you're doing there. But the time really does need to be invested to create that and, and really take the time to do it so it is unique and specific to the property you're at, the location that you're at, the type of service you're trying to deliver to the customer.
0: I'm really glad to not hear you say, oh, just take your SOPs from your last property and slap them on this new one. I think that's a very important point. I would also add that uh, two things. First, documenting any SOP is better than letting things run willy-nilly without having a plan. So if you spend the time to document what they're doing now and then view those SOPs as a living, breathing set of guidelines. You can update them as you figure out a better way. Gavin, I know that you have worked at some branded hotels, but the majority of your career has been spent in the independent world, which I think is pretty unusual. Maybe you disagree. Can you tell us about a couple of your favorite properties?
1: I sure can. Um, the two that come to mind are the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas.
0: I didn't know you were there. I love that hotel. Yeah.
1: So I was the hotel manager there for four years. And you know, a lot of classic hotels claim to be the living room of their community or the living room of their city. And then the Driscoll certainly is one of those, like the Adolphus in Dallas. The Driscoll is kind of the, the mirror hotel in Austin. Everybody goes there to take pictures in front of the Christmas tree, you know, at Christmas time. Oh, cool. Everybody goes to the Driscoll Bar to hear live music and have a cocktail as part of their Austin experience. Breakfast at the 1886 Cafe and Bakery or or afternoon tea or rite of passage there. So it was a really special place to have the opportunity uh, to work at and a very busy hotel. And I'm sure it still is today as Austin continues to grow, uh, the other that comes to mind is Nine Zero Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. Really, what sticks out about Nine Zero is, in my career, probably the best team that I ever worked with. From a leadership perspective, where everyone was on the same page, everyone had each other's back all the time. We had a lot of fun together. It was really the first true modern boutique hotel in Boston.
0: Now that you are heading up a division that is completely focused on soft branded, independent style, lifestyle properties, I could put a lot of adjectives in front of that word properties, and you have colleagues who lead on the branded side of your company. Are there any differences that you notice in leadership style or approach? And I'm not asking you to judge one as better or worse, just what are sort of some of the differences?
1: You know, first I'll say that the nuts and bolts of what we do across our company are, are the same, you know, the foundational expectations of everybody and who we are and, and everything are, are consistent across all divisions of our company. Uh, I think what probably is different and when he's talking about leadership of people is that a lot of people that end up in this space are right-brained. They are creative, they're innovative, they're thinkers. They might mess up or miss sometimes on, on some of the processy kind of things because that's just the way they work. And so most of the people that you end up being around or surrounded by or leading tend to have those types of character traits that allow for you know, innovation, creativity, Never settling for for what we did today. Always thinking about what we can do tomorrow to make the guest experience better, uh, more fun, more interesting. I think that's probably the biggest difference, and and usually it is with people.
0: Do you think that you're more right brained or left brained?
1: I actually think I'm a little bit more left brained, but I surprise myself a lot <laughs> with my ideas. Maybe people don't think my ideas are that great, but <laughs> <laughs> but you do, absolutely. I, I do. Uh, but generally, I you know. Back, going back to your SOP question, I have always have been very regimented about the format of how things look and feel. So certain things lead me to believe I'm a little bit more left brain.
0: I don't know if that's necessarily left brain because I think those frameworks, if you have some, uh, some maybe fences around what you're doing, it sometimes leads to more creativity and more Mm -hmm. innovation because you're sort of like figuring it out within the lines, how to color within the lines. There are a bunch of online quizzes you can take to find out if you're right brain (laughs) or left brain. I'll link one in the show notes. And that led me to try to figure out how to put into the marketing of my company, the word brain bidextrous. (laughs) It's kind of a mouthful, maybe not the most uh, clever thing I've ever thought of, but it's that sort of riding the line between left brain and right brain. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the... You're not going to lose $10,000 on your P&L, but you can still think of some clever ways to come up with $10,000 right. more. Dollars. Yep. So I have to... I am guess I'm telling you all my embarrassing secrets today. I'm going to tell you another one. When I was growing up, I was very strongly encouraged to take Latin because it is the root for vocabulary. And it would help me with my SAT scores, da, da, da. So I ended up taking seven years of Latin, full-on nerd competitions, like memorizing Latin speeches, the whole thing. And now that I'm an old lady, I really want to learn French. I've been taking Duolingo lessons for... I think I'm almost a year. I haven't even gotten on (laughs) level one yet. But I can read almost anything in French because of the Latin However, my listening comprehension, like hearing and understanding, is terrible. You minored in French in college. I have to know, what drew you to French as a minor? And more importantly, do you have any tips for me of how I can be smarter in French?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, certainly I grew up in a household. Both of my parents traveled extensively. My sister... Spent her first years of her life living in the Sudan and Africa, and it's just part of the DNA of our family. Um, And so, I had the privilege of visiting France a few times growing up. There's something about the romanticism, culture, food, wine, uh, laissez faire of of France that has always been appealing to me. Um, As it relates to your question, I think immersion in the culture is the best way to improve your understanding of the speaking side or or being able to have general conversations and understand. And I had the privilege uh, in college of studying and living in Morocco, which is a predominantly French-speaking country. And that's really where I was speaking French at my strongest, where I was having conversations and living and, and just making French an everyday part of my life. And so and unfortunately uh, you, you've returned from that and and you don't use it as much and it fades and that's unfortunate but that really is the best way to you know get stronger with any language and in hindsight i probably wish i had studied spanish or chinese or something that's becoming way more prominent in our relationship as a country with other countries and even in the hospitality community
0: what i hear you saying Is that I play back this episode for my husband and tell him that we need to live in France for several months so that I can perfect my French speaking skills? Is that yes? I I think so. And and,
1: you know that, that same backdrop you have right there would look wonderful in a Paris apartment as well.
0: Woven by Reigns is the division of the Reigns company you launched to focus on luxury, lifestyle, and boutique hotels. I'd love to hear more about that and about why it was important to the company to dedicate resources to that type of hotel.
1: Sure, absolutely. So everyone wants to do cool stuff, right? So, <laughs> uh, we have a pretty solid investor group across our whole company, and you know I think there's a genuine interest from our investor partners to delve into this space. But on top of that, we had an existing portfolio of a couple of hotels that fit this mold. And we really wanted to make sure they stood out and differentiated themselves, showcased that this was a space that we operate in, that we own hotels in. So that's really the driving force behind it.
0: I know one of the Woven by Rain's hotels is the Foundry in Asheville, North Carolina it used to be a steel mill. So this is adaptive reuse at its finest. Those are my favorite types of hotels to stay at because there's such a great story to sort of guide the design and the decor. There's just fascinating history to learn. I think we've already established that I'm a giant nerd. Um, What are some of the touches at the Foundry that you like the best? What are some other adaptive reuse projects that you admire even outside of your portfolio?
1: Yeah, I've been involved with the foundry since the very beginnings, when it was just an idea or a a thought um, with the owners and and developers of the property. And so getting to walk that space long, you know, gosh, over five, seven years ago, almost there was weeds growing out of the walls. Oh, wow. Places where there was no walls or roofs and to be a part of the vision and, and everything was really special and now just continue to be part of it's, It's great. I think one of the things that stands out the most is that it feels like an oasis, an urban oasis. We kept three of the existing steel foundry buildings, but then had to incorporate several new buildings that look exactly like the old buildings (laughs) to to kind of make it feel timeless and, and create sort of this campus feel with this beautiful interior courtyard with grasses and fire pits and oh, cool. uh, lawn chairs and games and live music and all of these types of things. So I think having that feel of a place in, in such an urban environment makes it special and unique and, you know, having exposed brick throughout the property and guest rooms in the bar um, is pretty interesting as well.
0: Did they find anything crazy, weird, historic, interesting in the walls or buried underneath weeds or whatever when the Uh, renovation was taking place?
1: Well, we uncovered this huge furnace um, that we were trying to figure out how we could incorporate it into the project somehow. And, And so for a long time, it's been kind of just sitting isolated out in the courtyard uh, but we're in the process actually of trying to make it a live piece where we you know, partner with our landscaping company to kind of relocate it a little bit and and have flowers and plants and such growing out of the furnace so it becomes like a showcase piece in the courtyard oh of I love both, that of, idea the furnace and landscaping
0: As you grow the woven division, I know that you all have an eye on secondary and tertiary markets where this style of property can really add to the community, like not be one of a thousand. Can you talk about how that plays out and why it's important?
1: Well, I think in particular, tertiary markets as well as secondary markets, a development project of this magnitude could be the thing that defines the community. Both past and present and future. And, you know, take Hotel Florence, for example, one of the woven by Rains properties in Florence, South Carolina, that we own and operate. It was the catalyst for continued downtown development that had faded for a while. And so, in many instances, that's the case. And having a hospitality asset leads to more businesses wanting to be part of that area, that community, that downtown resurgence. And, So, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders, the local community, the local government, they all are part of it from the beginning through to the end. And it's an exciting part of the process and a warranted one. And as we want to create something, develop something, operate something that is going to be special for the people of these communities, um, not to say that that doesn't happen in primary markets as well. It's just it, the volume of hotels is just different, and you know this could be the singular biggest development project this town or community ever sees.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I bet it is also helpful from a talent and labor perspective that you know you're you end up being one of the if not the major employer in an area which allows you to build relationships with your talent over a really long period of time versus the you know every 6 months turnover or whatever
1: absolutely i
0: mentioned this earlier but a lot of hotel investors are really focused on economy scale extended stay product right now why is Reigns bullish on luxury boutique and lifestyle? Is Reigns bullish on those scales of hotel?
1: I think we still are for sure. And Woven by Reigns is a big catalyst of growth for us. Both on the development side, we have several big uh, development projects, you know, that are s- several years out from coming to fruition and being operating projects, but still a lot of work to do over the next years to, to bring those uh, to light. But I think. We're actually really looking at both. You know, I might not personally be involved with it as much, but there is a segment of our company that is looking at extended stay big time and, and actually a very big uh, project with a lot of potential volume of, of assets on the extended stay side. And I think, you know, what the soft brands have done is, is provided a good combination of the loyalty, which does exist, uh, especially within, you know, the Hilton and Marriott systems. I mean, people... Are loyal to that and use their points. But I would say that a vast majority of corporate travelers right now, when they go to their, you know, Hilton Honors app, you know, they're looking for that tapestry or that curio property in whatever city or market they're going to first. A vast majority are.
0: This sounds like a good time to take a break. We'll get right back to my conversation with Gavin Phillips. After this, Gavin talks about some of the unexpected things you can find at boutique hotels and shares the story of how his wife almost became a member of Maroon 5. Be right back. Top Floor is supported by Cayuga Hospitality Consultants. For more than 35 years, Cayuga's international network of hospitality consultants has helped guide industry stakeholders from owners and operators to lenders and investors. Whether you need help with a short-term project or longer-term guidance, consultants bring executive-level lodging, food and beverage, asset management, and development expertise. Cayuga brings together every discipline of hospitality to deliver operational excellence and financial success. Learn more at cayugahospitality.com or call 866-386-4020 and Cayuga is spelled C-A-Y-U-G-A. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with a couple of really practical, tangible tips to try either in their businesses or their lives. I have consulted for many hotels and resorts that offer golf, but I've never been responsible for the revenue success of a golf course... I know that as part of the Waynesville project, your company is investing something like $20 million in completely renovating this already famous golf course there. I know you're a golfer and you've worked at golf resorts before. So I'm curious about what you've learned or uncovered in the process of renovating Waynesville. Like my gut tells me that you probably have not renovated a golf course before, but correct me if I'm wrong. What do you know now about running a golf course that might surprise someone who's never done it before or any specific tips for a first timer
1: Sure just as one point of clarification 20 million is roughly the cost of the renovation of the whole project not just the golf course but it has been extremely uh, fun, I will say, especially as a golfer and you know a lot of things and nuances about the game, maybe less about the business side of it. But um, I've learned way more about sodding and growing in <laughs> things that I ever thought I ever would. And that's what we're doing right now at the property. Um, If you follow us on Instagram, you'll see that we have some greens and, and starting to seed some fairways. So that's really coming into play on the Donald Ross nine, the front nine of what will be the new golf course. So I've learned a lot about golf course architecture, golf course construction um i've solidified the purchase of all the new golf course equipment that will ultimately help with the renovation but also maintain the golf course once it's running a whole new fleet of golf carts and all the technology that goes along with golf carts you know just yesterday i was you know we're trying to create these really unique tea markers for each tea box on every hole and it's the waynesville and the golf club used to be an old dairy farm so we're at each of the tee boxes planning on doing something really special to bring back that dairy feel on the tee box to mark the different places where people will tee off on each hole. So procurement, creation of unique touch points for everything has been a fun part of the golf experience as well.
0: Has learning about sodding and growing in changed the way that you play? Like, do you feel like you have an inside track on how to better angle your swing or I don't even know (laughs) if I said the phrase right, but...
1: I'm not sure about that, but I definitely, when I go golfing, I, I can tell if they have enough golf carts ready for play or not. But, you know, I can tell, you know, oh boy, there's you know, X amount of tee times left in the day. It looks like they only have six golf carts. They're going to be struggling to get carts in.
0: Since you have so much experience with independent and soft branded hotels, I feel like you can give us great tips for Creating business processes that don't erase individuality, kind of like what we talked about with the SOPs. What are some routines or ideas that work for really unique hotels without erasing their personality?
1: Yeah, I think one thing I was thinking about is branding, right? So for every hotel that fits this mold, the branding is the most crucial part of the process and so it has to be done from the very get-go and and so when you're talking about the foundry for example the branding was one of the first things we did before we even touched any dirt on the property to create the brand put together a package to tell the story of what, what it was what it is what it's going to be that can be embraced by both the developer, the interior designer, the architect, the operation, everybody then can get hold of something that is the foundation and help all the different things come together the way we intend them to. And having the owner and the developer kind of be part of that process, help lead that process, because we want to ensure we deliver uh, a product that they're proud of and can stand by.
0: I love things that are driven by the story. Mm-hmm. If someone's used to staying only at sort of corporate branded cookie cutter style hotels, what are a couple of things that might be surprising about staying at a woven by reins type property instead? For example, are there more guest activities? Like What's something that you could go to the desk and ask for that you couldn't ask for at a generic hotel?
1: Well, I think one thing, whether it's a woven by reins or this style of hotel in general, it's surprises and delights. It's things that a guest never is expecting to see, whether that's you know somebody plucking a banjo in the corner of the bar or getting something when you check in that's unique to the hotel, to the brand that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Something you come across in the room that you don't see at every hotel that is whether it's a down amenity or it's a piece of collateral that's done in a unique way. I think those are kind of some of the th- things that people can touch and feel and, and see, I think, are, are some of the things that differentiate these types of properties.
0: Personally speaking, what is the most annoying thing to forget to pack on a trip?
1: Um... I, I would imagine most people would probably say sundry items. However, you know, sundry items you can get at a nearby market or pharmacy, or possibly the hotel even has them, things like razors, deodorant, et cetera. Um, this might be a little personal, uh, but I would say underwear um, because it might not be it might not be as easy to find a place to get underwear wherever you are as it is to get a thing of
0: toothpaste. Especially if you're at a resort that's like out in the mountains or in the middle of nowhere. It's true.
1: You have to drive 20 minutes to Target or wherever to get it. I mean, I think... (laughs) That's that's, a problem for sure.
0: Oh my gosh. So we've reached the point in our conversation where we're going to look ahead, look into our crystal balls and predict the future. What are a couple of overall predictions that you have for the hotel
1: business? So, I think we will continue to see the merging of short term rental and hotels, especially in major urban or destination markets. So, just speaking to Charleston specifically, which is where I live, there are certain parameters in place for development downtown on the peninsula in certain locations where you can only build up to 50 rooms as a hotel. But now people are doing more like 10 or 15 rooms that are really short-term rentals really high quality luxury finishes residential luxury quality and trying to run it a little bit like a hotel and so there's this synergy between that that i think is probably happening in other markets like charleston even in bigger cities as well Um, so i think we'll continue to see that small 10 to 20 room places that are really beautiful and high quality finishes and touches, but probably still have pretty limited services.
0: I wonder how they make something that size pencil. Like how do you have enough volume to make the size work? This may be too deep of a financial question, but it just doesn't, I can't get it in my brain.
1: Well, I think you can only make it work in markets where you can drive You know, some pretty serious rates and you develop a model that limits the amount of payroll and expense to manage that space, those 10 units. You know, self check-in, kiosk, one person that checks you in, gives you a drink, is your bartender, your check-in, they come and check if you have a maintenance issue or housekeeping issue. You know, so I think that it's a really scaled down expense model in addition to only working in places where you can drive pretty significant rates.
0: Makes sense. I'm originally from Panama City, Florida. And since I was born, there has been a huge um, condo market, vacation condo market, which I think is sort of the precursor to short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very similar thing now that you said that. And I started actually using my brain instead of just being perplexed that you know, people arrive on Saturday, they get there, all the stuff that they're getting is already there. It's touchless until they depart.
1: Right. I think mini bars are going to make a big comeback, especially in this this segment of our business luxury lifestyle boutique. I think people miss many bars who stay in places that had them before and that they'll be more unique and distinct and you know, tricked out than ever. Um, I have stuff to that say people, though that, stuff that, people want.
0: that miniature Pringles can is like flipping mini bar kryptonite for me. So yeah, uh, yeah they need to stay.
1: I'm, you you got keep to the, keep the staples for sure. <laughs> I think um, another thing that we're doing in a couple of our t- hotels that's part of the branding and part of the storytelling is doing scavenger hunts, but ones that aren't like as formulated as like meet in the lobby at five o'clock and we'll take you around and show you some historical stories of what this building used to be or things like that but more casual where it's you know little secrets and touches that the guest sees where they have to go look for something on their own or hey you know the front desk is you know, giving them little clues and things like that, less formulated, but really trying to be part of telling the story uh, in a fun way for the guests where they get to go explore different parts of the property.
0: I love that idea. I definitely am signing up for that. Yep. When, if ever, all right, this is a real crystal ball question here for you. Hmm. When do you think that the hospitality labor crisis is going to level off or even end?
1: I think, you know, in some ways we're starting to see people return to their roots, to their calling. Um, I think having hospitality in your heart, you can't get rid of that, right? So I think people are exploring new avenues, seeing what's out there, but I think you'll see a lot of people come back because that's what they're truly passionate about but we have to be prepared for that and to create an environment that's different maybe than what they were accustomed to. I think a couple of the biggest things are flexible schedules. Um, I think the days of expecting a housekeeper to work from eight to four or nine to five and have a board of X is, is gone and we need to, find or or be open to and, and welcoming to people that want to clean three rooms and then leave or can only work from 10 until one and they clean five rooms. I think flexibility is a big one. I think that rewards and recognition is another big part of it. And, you know, sometimes you think that maybe we don't pay as well as we should in the hospitality industry. If you talk to a lot of people, that's not the driving cause of leaving the industry. It's more those other two things. And those types of things that exist in some other industries and and we just need to, to do better and get better in, the, in those areas. And then really just, you know, working with a company that's driving their PR messaging around their culture, uh, making sure that it's known and, and understood what you're all about up front, I think, is a big part of it as well.
0: What's next for you and what's next for your company?
1: Yeah, as, as I mentioned, we have several big development projects, you know, as we were talking about Projects in cities and towns that will be defining for those specific communities. And so we're in early, early stages on those, but they're very time consuming for the development team in particular, uh, working on those relationships with the constituents, the communities, the the cities. uh, but they're gonna be very, very special. Personally, one of the things I'm focused on is strategic F and B partnerships, trying to figure out a unique way to develop and create concepts that are woven by brains, properties that that really tell a unique story on the food and beverage front. Um, I think that's a big one. And then, you know, as we grow, whether that's through management contracts, acquisitions, you know, again, development, I think it's, you know, creating a, a new standard for our corporate staffing and structure to support that.
0: Okay, folks, before we tell Gavin goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Gavin, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock?
1: Well, um, I've been married to my wife now for almost 15 years and going back to 9-0 Hotel in Boston we had a lot of famous people stay there and um, had a famous rock band staying there, uh, especially at the time, Mariva. Uh, <laughs> and, and they were leaving to go out, uh, the band was, and my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, was in the lobby, you know, right, waiting for me.
0: Waiting for you or waiting for them? She,
1: she was waiting for me. Okay. They asked her to get in the car. And, Asked her if she wanted to hang out with them. And she said, No, I'm waiting for my boyfriend. But she very well could have gotten in that car. (laughs) And who knows? She could, you know, be her last name could be Levine or something like
0: that. So did did she get like a special night out that night, a dozen roses? Is that what pushed you to pop the question?
1: It it, it definitely helps solidify you know, the strength of our relationship. but uh, Oh, I love it. Well, I that was, is I was cool. proud of her. <laughs> up.
0: Good call. Good call. Gavin, Philip, thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners learned a lot, got some great tips, and I appreciate you riding up to the top floor with me.
1: Thank you, Susan. It was a blast.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Top Floor. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 37. I cannot thank you enough for being here. We recently crossed over 8,000 listeners and I couldn't do it without you. Thanks so, so much. Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our Elevated Elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen.
1: Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.